This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So I want to start off by saying that everybody in this story is safe, but it was one of the closest calls that... I've ever had in my life, and I feel like I have to tell my story in order to just raise awareness. So I live in a major city in practically the pit of hell state, born and raised here, and I'm very familiar with my surroundings. I'm also aware of the fact that my city is one of the worst hubs for human trafficking, and living here can be very, very dangerous. But despite all this though, I've taken pride in knowing that I do everything that I can to remain as safe as possible. I've had some close calls before. A shady landlord gave a stranger copies of my key and a man tried to enter as soon as I was alone and other horrifying tales. And I consider myself a, an avid murderino. I'm pretty prepped and at the time I had two cans of pepper spray. One in my favorite jacket pocket and one velcro to my desk at work. I also had two trusty pocket knives, one always on me and one in my car door pocket. Oh, and uh, my taser? It never leaves my bag. I avoid shady situations, and despite being a small lady, I, I know my stuff. But my point is, is that I'm a very paranoid small chihuahua, and I still got into a very scary situation. So it was summer and hot as hell out, and I've got a date with my favorite gal pal, and I swing by her place to pick her up. She tells me that she has a job interview to go to first and I agree to go with her and it's no big deal. She's a sweet tiny thing from a small town in the Midwest and very new to city life and the wild things that can happen here. As we drive into a different city, I ask her about the job. She tells me that it's a modeling gig. Ah, oh, cool, I say. For who? And she says I found an ad on Craigslist and it's just for sports clothes. The Craigslist thing sets a small distant alarm off in my head, but I push it to the side for now. I ask her where the heck we're going anyway, and when we pull up to the Starbucks a bit outside of the city, the alarm in my head becomes a, a little less faint. Relax, I tell myself. I've gone to legit job interviews at coffee shops before, and there's always been a good reason. We arrive first, late still, but end up waiting about 15 minutes, I think. Kind of weird, but Kat's relieved that we're not the rude ones when she gets a text saying that he's finally here. I look around the Starbucks and outside at the parking lot trying to figure out who the mystery man can be when 
I notice a tall, well-dressed man step out of a black SUV. He smiles at us as he approaches, and I figure that that's our guy. I could have sworn that the SUV had been parked there for a while, though. I ask Kat if she wants me to step in line and grab her a drink, but she practically begs me to stay with her, and so I say, okay, I, I can do that. I didn't think it would look very professional, but I didn't want to protest. The man, named Jack, leads us to an isolated table outside and doesn't say much about my presence other than it was okay for me to be there. I get on my phone and shoot a text to my fiancé explaining where I was and what I was doing. He shoots back to be careful and I sit pretty to just watch the show. Jack had this uh, strange accent that I couldn't place my finger on. But looking back, I'm not even sure it was real to be honest. He starts asking Kat the usual questions, and I notice that she's absolutely bombing the interview pretty much. She doesn't have much experience and didn't bother to bring a portfolio, but despite this, he doesn't seem to care. The alarm in my head is pretty much a whisper at this point, but it completely blares when he asks if she'd be comfortable doing lingerie shoots as well. Dear sweet cat says that she doesn't have an issue with it, but would prefer to mostly do sports clothing like they had discussed earlier. She asks to see some of his work and he pulls up a lingerie Instagram. All lingerie and no clothing whatsoever anywhere. He holds it in front of her face and pulls it away immediately, and when she asked if there was more that she'd be doing, Jack says that was it, and hurries the conversation along. He then says that we need to go right now to his studio at a place that he briefly mentioned the name of to sign papers and get everything squared away. It apparently has to be done today because he's not working tomorrow and his co-workers won't do it right. And at this point, I absolutely hate everything about this and I'm trying to glare some sense into her but nothing's getting through. Cat agrees though and he turns his attention to me. He asks, do you want to be a part of this too? I immediately know that there's nothing about this that's professional. I look down at my beat up docks and green cargo pants, my shirt that has flames and a slightly edgy logo on it and can't help but scoff. I say, that's not really my thing, I'm just the ride. He studies me for a second and then says that we can all ride with him, directing his attention to Cat. I say, no, uh, I don't want to leave my car and we'll follow you. He looks offended that I butt in, but asks where we're parked. I say, right in front of the store, and I got it. I practically pull Cat to the Jeep and make sure that we walk behind him. And as soon as we get into the car, I lock the doors and try to keep from freaking out. I tell her that we are not going to this thing, but this doesn't feel right. What about the lingerie and all that? Everything I say, though, she just has an excuse for. We pull out of the parking lot and I follow Jack's SUV, but the whole time I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of this. Kat doesn't like the lingerie, but this could be a door for her and she desperately needs the money, so she keeps insisting. She keeps saying to me, what if this is legit? He was alone anyways. You have your knife and spray, right? <laughs> of course I do, but I'm 5'2 and this man's 6'3 and Jack could very much have friends. And I don't want to possibly kill or be killed. But we drive along anyway as I just try to talk to her and we start driving out into the desert at this point. 
the middle of absolutely nowhere. There's a divider in the road that prevents U-turns at this point, and I just get this really eerie feeling that Jack knew to take us this way. I'm absolutely desperate at this point to get out of this, and I pull out my phone and snap a picture of Jack's SUV license plate. I upload it to Snapchat where friends can see it, and Kat starts getting uncomfortable too once she realizes just how far we've driven. The name of the place he mentioned springs back into my head, and I know it's familiar from somewhere. A commercial jingle that's distant but catchy, I think. I tell my friend that it's a restaurant or a hotel or something, I think, and he wouldn't have a studio there, so she should look it up. She does, and it's a casino. Unless this man has rented out a space, there's no way that he would have a studio there, and it's just not consistent with the information that he gave us at all. Kat begins to freak out at this point, and I tell her that this isn't uncommon, and he was trying to confuse us the entire time. Throughout the entire interview too, she had a, a confused and kind of hesitant look on her face, like this wasn't what she was promised or expecting at all. Kat finally agrees that we need to get out of there and I start to breathe easy again. I notice that every five minutes or so that there's a break in the medians. It's a rough quick stop and turn around, but it'll have to do, so I do it and we just absolutely gun it. Kat eventually gets a call from Jack and at first she ignores it. I convince her though to call back and she gets nothing at all. Like the number had blocked her and it just didn't go through. I tell her to screenshot the Craigslist ad but when she looks it up, she can't find it anywhere. It's like every trace of Jack just disappeared. We go back to her apartment and I tell her that she needs to report it. She promises that she will, but later because she doesn't want her husband to know. He didn't even know that she had this interview to begin with, and she didn't want him to know what happened. But if I hadn't have driven her, she would have gone alone for sure without telling a soul, and I mean, who knows what could have happened. I tried not to scold her too badly, but I just reminded her that our city was very different and much more dangerous than where she's from. Since the incident though, I, I now have three pepper sprays, one for the car and uh, a new pocket knife to carry around too. Thanks dad. I'm also four months pregnant and now finally ready to get out of this damn dangerous city. Please be safe out there guys, it's, it's such a scary world and be damn careful with Craigslist, whatever you do. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My husband and I were at the supermarket and our baby was being especially fussy, so he took her for a quick drive, the motion of which usually calms her down. It only took about 10 minutes to settle her, and I was still in the store, but was unsure how much longer I'd be, and there's poor cell reception inside, so he pulled back into the parking lot to wait for me. It was a, an unseasonably nice day, so he took her in the car seat to sit on one of the benches outside the store. He took a business call and had just sat them down, absentmindedly rocking the carrier, when a woman, well-dressed, mid-thirties, average height, fit build, approached them. It's not uncommon for people to ask to play with our baby. She's got big rosy cheeks, soft wisps of gold hair, and the most adorable gurgly toothless grin, especially when she's deep into a good nap. But her nap schedule is paramount, so my husband was preparing to tell the woman that she actually couldn't play with our baby right then. She walked over right in their direction, brimming with nonchalant confidence, and before he can even finish his sentence explaining that she's napping and not to be touched, she just picked up the carrier and started walking off. He was in shock for a minute, and not fully believing someone would be ballsy enough to do something so sinister in plain daylight, so he just said, excuse me, put her down, as his panic mounted. She remained calm this entire time, but when he called after her, she started walking away more briskly than when she'd approached. He ran full speed ahead, tried to grapple the carrier out of her hands, finally resulting to restraining her arms, and this woman yells, help, he's trying to take my baby, kidnapping, 911, help, kicking him in the shin and pulling a pink bottle of pepper spray out of her handbag. Of course, no one in the parking lot was clocking the earlier interaction and assumed that he really was a kidnapper. I mean, a lone man in a Deadpool t-shirt versus a tiny well-dressed woman? Immediately, a man knocked my husband to the ground and was holding him down too. He could hear bystanders encouraging the woman to file a police report, but she was doing a very convincing job of just acting shaken up and insisted that she just wanted to get home. To make matters worse for my husband, she was driving a minivan too. He was in a raw state of panic, realizing the entire parking lot had banded together to inadvertently facilitate the kidnapping of our daughter. He was begging and pleading with them, but no one was listening. They just kept screaming at him that the jig was up, and that he needed to lie still and wait for police and stop terrorizing a young mother. My husband finally had the novel idea to show them family pictures on his phone, but too panicked to think clearly, this manifested as him shouting, I have pictures of the baby on my phone, which, of course, everyone interpreted as having either taken stalking photos or, worse, pornographic images of the baby. It was at this point that a man, and I can't entirely blame the man considering what he thought was going on, kicked my husband as hard as he could in the ribs. It was at this point that I was coming out of the store too and I thought that he was being robbed by these people or something. I was yelling for security, so panicked that my chest constricted and I could barely get any sound out. It was only then that I realized that he didn't have a baby with him. When I saw that she was being held by a woman, I was actually relieved at first. I thought that maybe the woman had intervened to move my daughter out of harm's way while my husband was being robbed and was just walking away to get help or something. I couldn't find a security guard outside the store, so I ran up to the people holding my husband down, waving my wallet, pleading, please just take everything you want, just leave us alone. And one of the men holding him down said something like, lady, we need to wait for the police to deal with him. And at this point... I was so confused. 
Why would muggers have called the police? I just kept stammering, what do you mean, what are you talking about? And made out someone saying he tried to abduct that woman's kid. I didn't understand and I was sure that I'd misheard him. My husband would never hurt a child. I mean, we have four kids of our own. And if he was going to commit a crime, bringing home another kid would be at the bottom of his list. I kept trying to understand what the man was saying and suddenly, it all just clicked. I looked around for the woman who had the baby carrier and she was now halfway across the parking lot. I went into total ballistic tiger cub mode, literally leapt out of my heels and sprinted across the parking lot. I'm not a UFC fighter and I've never even taken a self-defense class, so all I could think to do was grab the woman by her hair and squeeze her throat with my other hand, which didn't actually do much. She was getting away even as I grappled with her. Amazingly, none of the other bystanders had yet connected that my husband was telling the truth and this woman was absconding with my baby. I yanked on her hair as hard as I could and that was enough to make her drop the carrier. I was so scared and surprised that I actually just threw myself on top of the carrier, covering the entire thing like a blanket, and stayed that way without saying or doing anything else. The woman, she fled, and not one person tried to stop her. Even though she was clearly leaving with another child that she claimed was hers, which would be pretty damn incriminating if I just watched this scene unfold myself. Within the next couple of minutes, though, police had arrived, and after all that, there were still several bystanders who explained that it was my husband trying to kidnap the baby. The police, to my horror, assumed that she must not have had bad intentions. The first questions they asked me after getting her description weren't investigative. They were questions thinly veiled trying to convince me not to pursue charges, still placing blame on my husband. A small sampling consisted of, do your husband and baby look dissimilar? Is there a chance that she thought she was abducting the baby and she was just trying to intervene? Could your husband have been doing something inappropriate or violent to the baby that would make her feel compelled to extricate the baby from the situation? Did she seem groggy or confused? Could she have mistaken either of them for her own family members? They spent more time verifying that the baby was actually mine than they concerned themselves with the fact that the baby was not actually hers. My husband had called his brother at that point who works in an office with a lot of lawyers and connected with one ASAP who gave us the priceless advice to get every officer's name and badge number, to request copies of the store's security tapes right away, and to escalate our complaint higher up the chain if these officers weren't taking us seriously. And finally, we had reason enough to believe that we were being taken seriously and we went home and both just shook and cried until we had to get our other kids from school. My husband is seething with rage and grappling with a feeling of helplessness from just how little he was able to do, and also has two cracked ribs from when the men kicked in. To the officer's credit, they did ask if we'd like to press charges, but considering the man was genuinely convinced at the time that he was on the right side of intervening in a kidnapping and stayed to talk to the police and apologize profusely when the truth became clear, we declined to press charges. Amazingly and frustratingly though, there were still people who stuck around to talk to police who were giving my husband dirty looks and one man who even implored the police to involve CPS to verify that it was really our baby. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I was born on April 17th of 1998, and I was kidnapped on April 18th that same year by my aunt. About a year prior, my aunt had a baby named Dakota. He was a healthy baby boy by doctor's standards, but unfortunately died of SIDS about three months after he was born. And this made my aunt distraught and drew her into a stage of depression. My family came together and offered support, but it was always turned away. My aunt's entire life just seemed to be crumbling as she caught her husband with another woman too. He left her soon after that and she was left to raise two kids and deal with the loss of a third by herself. I've had a lot of theories on why she did everything but I've chalked it up to mental illness. Now, when I was born, I was at 24 weeks and was 2 pounds. Remarkable, I know. So, my upcoming was no walk in the woods and more of a battle as my lungs were terribly underdeveloped, causing me to not be able to breathe on my own when I was born. I was actually hospitalized until November of 1998, but I was kidnapped and almost died the day after I was born. My aunt was there with my mother and when my father arrived, my aunt came out of the OR and told him that my mother was so angry and wanted nothing to do with him. And this resulted in my father not being there for my own birth because she actually lied. When my mother was in recovery, my aunt was in the NICU watching as they worked on keeping me alive. She told the doctor that my parents were drug addicts and that that's why she had me so early. She actually had me early because of complications with Lyme disease. This resulted in the doctors calling children youth services and performing a blood test to see if my mother had drugs in her system. She didn't have anything other than what she was given in the hospital. My parents were confused on why they were being investigated and once they were told of my aunt's accusations against them, my mother and father were furious with her. Now, I need to clarify that the next part here is what I've been told and I may have some facts missing but this is what I can account for. So somewhere in this time period, my aunt actually went into my NICU and visited me. Allegedly, she asked to see me in private and the nurse left. But the nurses said that she must have removed my ventilator and unplugged the heart monitor so it wouldn't flatline when I was taken off it. And by some miracle, I was actually breathing on my own. My aunt apparently put me in a bag and walked out of the NICU and no one suspected a thing. A nurse realized that I was missing not soon after though and that resulted in police being called and the hospital placed in lockdown. I was found about 10 minutes later by a nurse on the woman's restroom floor next to my aunt who was trying to end her own life. When we were found she was unconscious with blood just everywhere and was given immediate care. 
She lived and was put into police custody as soon as she was cleared by the hospital. As for me, I was barely clinging to life. I stopped breathing and was immediately rushed into emergency surgery where I had a tracheostomy performed to help me start breathing again without the use of a ventilator. The surgery was almost a complete failure, but I had a miraculous pull-through in the end. I was reunited with my frantic parents that same night and had a security guard outside my room for the next few days too. She was questioned and told the police that she always wanted a little boy. When Dakota died, it just broke her heart. And when she saw me, she apparently knew that I was hers. She thought that I was some sort of gift given to her by God. She was definitely mentally ill and to be honest, I, I feel sorry for her and the two other kids but they were taken up by their dad and hopefully they were given a better life. I'm not entirely sure I've ever met them, and that day, it still gives me goosebumps. I mean, how could someone be that broken on the inside to have the heart to just take another person's child? She's been in a mental institution ever since, and I think that I've only seen her one other time when we visited her for a holiday, but for the life of me, I, I can't remember much of the encounter as it was a long time ago. I gotta give it to my mum though. She's been a champ letting her see me, and my little brother too. I can't imagine the things that she endured during that whole event, but I, I suppose I can understand why she left her and we didn't see her for years. I still don't know all of the details of that day and I apologize if this seems a, a bit jumpy and a bit all over the place but that's about all the information I've gotten in the past 20 years combined. The thing is is that I wasn't actually told about this until I was maybe 12 or 13 I think. Which does make sense I suppose. But the thought of your child's first memory being the story of how they were kidnapped at hospital might not be the healthiest thing for a child right? I guess I could go and see her to get the full story, at least from her perspective, but I don't really have any intent. But call me harsh, but what she did was extremely harmful, not only to me, but to my family as well, and it could have cost me my life, and for that I, I suppose that I'll, I'll never forgive her. This happened to me when I was a teenager and it still haunts me to this day. I was babysitting for my neighbour across the street, Alice. I babysat for her often, almost every weekend in fact. So we were pretty comfortable with one another and we had a good routine. Rarely, Alice would have a sleepover friend and on this particular night, that was the case. Jennifer was a first time sleepover date so she was a bit nervous but I did my best to make her happy. Alice's parents left at around 6.30pm, setting the alarm behind them as they went. I bathed both the girls and got them into bed to watch some Nickelodeon, and it was our usual routine. Once the girls were happy, I, I went to the kitchen to grab some snacks. It was pouring rain outside, and next to the kitchen was a breakfast nook with glass doors and a series of glass windows. As I was preparing to walk back into the room, the phone rang. Alice's parents called often, so I always answered the phone. I picked up the phone and I asked who it was. The male voice asked me, Hi, how are you? And I replied with, Hi, I'm doing well. Are you calling for Jason, Alice's father? He isn't home, but I can take a message. He says to me, Maybe, or maybe I'm calling to talk to you. 
Now, my spidey senses weren't tingling just yet, and I figured it was a family member or a friend who was bored and just wanted to chat. I politely but quickly said I had to go, and the girls were calling for me to bring their snacks, so I just quickly hung up the phone. I brought Alice and Jennifer their snacks and was about to settle into the recliner chair in Alice's room when I heard the phone ring again. I hustled back into the kitchen to answer it, without really thinking anything was peculiar, at least not yet. But this time, he started off, and it wasn't angry or aggressive, but he said, you know it's rude to just hang up on people, don't you? It was a little hard to hear him over the thunder and the rain, and both girls were calling for me to come back because they were scared of the thunder. So I said, I'm sorry, I have to get back to the girls, have a nice night. I heard him say something, but I actually hung up before I could hear what he said. But then, the phone rang again. This time, he said, don't hang up on me, with anger in his voice. And I just hung up because I was getting nervous at this point. I went back into the room with the girls and the phone rang again, and at that point, Alice was asking me not to leave her again, so I didn't answer. But... The phone rang again and again and again and 10 minutes then passed without a call and then the phone rang again and this time I thought that perhaps it was Alice's parents so I peeled myself away from the girls to go answer the phone. This time he screamed at me to not hang up the phone. I told him to leave me alone and that if he called again I was going to call the cops and I said that he was a psycho. I hung up the phone and turned around to see Alice and Jennifer were now standing behind me and they looked terrified, so I offered to get them some ice cream bars from the freezer. I went to the freezer, and the phone rang again. Alice answered it this time, and I don't know what he was saying, but I heard screaming, and Alice looked absolutely terrified. I grabbed the phone and was about to unleash on him when he said, that's a nice pink shirt you're wearing. I hung up the phone and realized that not only was I wearing a pink shirt but that during the second call I received, there was a clap of thunder that I heard on the phone at the same time that I heard it in the house. It wasn't until that moment that the realization, it finally hit me. Now, I was a teenager at that point, thinking I was invincible and having no concept of my own mortality, but a higher sense of consciousness kicked in and guided my next few actions. I hit the light switch in the kitchen as it controlled most of the lights in that immediate area and I grabbed both girls, their barking dog, Alex, and I shoved all of us into the pantry. The pantry door opened inward so I pushed us up against the shelves and shoved a giant bag of rice against the door. I then had my back against the shelf, my feet pushing against the rice to help secure the door and I had a girl in each arm with my hands over their mouth. I pinned the dog between my legs and, although he constantly barked, he somehow knew to stay quiet at that moment. And then, the alarm started sounding and the phone started ringing. All of us were trembling, but I was determined not to cry in front of the girls. I tried to listen, but between the alarm and the thunderstorm, I couldn't hear much. After what felt like an hour, I heard a female's voice calling and asking if anyone was in the house. She was in front of the pantry and announced that she was a police officer and that it was safe to come out. She clearly knew that I wasn't going to take her word on it, so she slid her badge under the door and I moved one foot from the bag of rice and towed her badge towards me. 
The police had turned the lights on, so I was able to see from the light streaming in under the pantry door that it was, in fact, a badge. I cautiously made my way out of the pantry, shielding the girls behind me, and the female officer, Officer Wesley, didn't look alarmed at all, and I quickly realized why. Hey guys, I know it's scary when the alarm goes off, but next time you, you need to answer the phone and let the alarm company know everything's okay instead of just hiding, alright? Sending officers out to a house isn't a joke. I looked at her incredulously. But we didn't set off the alarm. I said, stammering, and I actually started to cry. I told her that we haven't opened any doors. She looked at me with confusion and said, then who made those footprints? From the back door, the sliding glass door in the kitchen nook, to the pantry and out the front door, there were muddy footprints, and in front of the pantry were a bunch of prints, as if someone had paced in front of the door for a while. The footprints led out of the front door, which was still open when the police arrived too. Obviously, I was hysterical and the police called Jason and Janelle, Alice's parents, to come home from the restaurant that they were at. Within earshot, but clearly not meant for me to overhear, Officer Wesley's partner informed her that the door in the nook had been pried open. I looked out over the pool deck and could see that there was a trail of footprints and it had started from the grass and went into the house. They were mostly dissolved at that point due to the rain, but it was very clear that someone had walked from the side of Alice's house and towards the glass door. We waited for Alice's parents to come home before I left, and when the police recounted the night's events, I remember thinking in passing that neither of Alice's parents looked as terrified as I thought that they should have, given the events of the evening and all that. The police walked me home and told my parents what happened and my mother and father were both very, very upset. A few extra officers patrolled the neighborhood for a few weeks but they never caught the perpetrator and nor was he ever heard from again. And obviously, I never babysat for Alice again because I was just too frightened. Fast forward a few years and Jason, Alice's father, went to prison for tax evasion, or so we were told. Years later though, when I was home visiting, I ran into Jason as he was leaving the house on his motorcycle. He stopped to chat with me and I asked him the one nagging question that I'd had for years. Did he really go to jail for tax evasion? She left him for a dead sister's husband, which is pretty dark and... I guess Jason just didn't feel that he needed to keep up any pretenses anymore. He told me that no, he was actually sent to prison for drug running. He regaled me with the tale of how he was caught in a high-speed chase and bragged how he was one of the biggest dealers in the area for years until he was busted. And then I knew for sure. But the person who was calling that night was trying to exact some sort of punishment on Jason. Maybe he was a rival dealer, or maybe Jason worked for him and had pissed him off or something, but that's why Jason and Janelle didn't seem as alarmed as they should have. By the grace of God and an alarm system, we were not killed that night, but I knew that Jason's actions had led to that night's events, somehow. I just knew it in my gut. It still haunts me to this day, and I think it helped solidify a healthy understanding of my own mortality as well as the depravity that may be with the others. I'm not overly paranoid, thankfully, but I'm definitely cautious, and I think rightly so. And after this, my stupid teenage antics, for the most part, 
and they stopped dead in their tracks. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.